Finish up. You go ahead and be seated. Open your Bibles this morning to Colossians 3. We're looking at seven ups. Seven ups. We've already looked at wake up. We've looked at dress up. And we're looking at the second part of look up. Look up. Please silence your cell phones. Look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 and 2. And the message says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. Absorb with the things right in front of you. But look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. Look at your neighbor and say, look at things the way he looks at things. Looking to him. Looking to him for wisdom. He is our wisdom. Looking to him for our sanctification. He is our sanctification. Looking to him for health, for he is the health of our countenance. Looking to him for strength, for he is our strength. Looking to Him for peace, for He is our peace. You see, our focus must be on Jesus and His Word. If our needs are to be met, they're to come from Him. Our deliverance and freedom from our lives comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 2, it says that we are to look away from everything that would distract us unto Jesus. Jesus and His Word are one. Now notice with me in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 22. And this is applicable to your healing, but it's also applicable to every area of your life. He said, my son, attend to my words in verse 20. In other words, my word, first place. Incline thine ear to my sayings. Listen to what I say to you in my word. Listen to what I say to you by my Holy Spirit. Let them, my words that you've attended to and that you have listened to, do not let them or allow them to depart from before your eyes. I firmly believe that many in the body of Christ are not getting the kind of results that God wants them to get simply because they're looking two ways at one time. In other words, they have double vision. One day they're looking at the word that says their needs are met. They're looking at the word that says by his stripes they're healed. And the next day they're observing the symptoms. They're observing all of the bills. God never told you to ignore your problems, but he told us to focus rather on the answer instead of the problems because the problems will always be there, but the focus which is on Jesus will change your situation. (coughs) Amen. So he says, my words are life to those that find them and health or medicine to all their flesh. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm, but Brenda grew up on a farm. And what was the main crop that you guys had? Cotton. Cotton. And, of course, there was uh, people, farmers, you know, they plant for corn, they plant for wheat. And so Johnny Edwards, her daddy, when they planted that cotton seed, 
He didn't go out the next day and dig it up and say, well, it's not working. That would be foolish. Why? Because there is such a principle as seed time and harvest. But do you know Christians do that? They plant the Word of God in their heart. They get all built up in the Word of God in church or in Bible study. But then the next day, they plant, they pick the seed out of the ground. They say, oh, I still have symptoms. My bills are still paid. It must not be working. Well, the fact of the matter is, you haven't given it time to work. There is this law of sowing and there is this law of reaping. You see, if God's Word is going to be health to all of our flesh, if God's Word is going to be prosperity to every area of our lives, it must be attended to, it must be listened to, and it must be looked at continuously. For as we look unto Jesus and look unto His Word, God performs His Word and watches over it on our behalf. Did you know this is the only book that he watches over to perform. Oh, what a grand performance there's going to be in our lives as we look unto him. I want us to look at this in uh, Numbers chapter 21 in a moment, but first I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Notice this scripture with me. It says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples. Now, what Paul is addressing here is he's talking to the church at Corinth and he's saying, look, I want you to learn some things from understanding what happened to the children of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. They are an example to you and they are an example to me. And they are written for our admonition, not only for the church at Corinth, but for the church in the Bay Area. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. So this morning we're going to look at an example from the Old Covenant. Now let me say this. We do not get our doctrine from the Old Covenant. Many people have gotten in a lot of trouble making doctrines out of Old Covenant things that really no longer apply in the New Covenant. We get our doctrine from the New Covenant. Or the New Testament. And then once we get our doctrine from the New Covenant, we can look back to the Old. And in the Old, we see pictures which point us to the New. And that's what we're going to look at today. Everyone say, look up. up. Notice with me in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 6. And they journeyed, speaking of the children of Israel, from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea, to compass the land of Edom... And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Have you ever been discouraged because the way things were going? I guess we could lift up both hands. But at the time of this writing, they had been in the wilderness for 39 years and five months. It took them 40 years to enter in. And it was just seven months before they entered in that they got greatly discouraged. And they expressed their discouragement through whining and complaining and through bellyaching. 
I submit to you that many times right before your foot is entering into the land of promise, the enemy will bring great pressure and try to discourage you and keep you out of what God's got for you. But you don't have to let that happen. In spite of what's going on around you, you keep stepping, you keep walking, you keep praising, you keep thanking, and God will see to it that you get in. Amen. Hallelujah. Notice with me in verse 5. And the people spoke against God. You ever spoke against God? Not a smart thing to do. And against Moses. You ever spoke against the pastor? Not a smart thing to do. Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die? Who's talking about dying? God never brought up death to them. For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this manna. You know, manna in the morning, manna at night, manna all day long. Yeah, you delivered us from the Red Sea. Yeah, you did this. Yeah, you did that. But what's up? That's the kind of attitude that opens up the door for serpents. And serpents are a type of demons, devils, and evil spirits. They opened the door through their complaining. They spoke against Moses. They spoke against God. And in verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents. Now understand that those fiery serpents were something they were protected from for 39 years and 5 months. But all of a sudden, the Lord let the fiery serpents loose. Not from the Lord, but because they were out from under His protection, through whining and griping and complaining, the enemy got a foothold. So we see here, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Not a good day. Verse 7, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Moses, please pray. Lord, Moses, please pray that those serpents would get out of here. And Moses said, I ain't going to do it. (laughs) Moses said, no, you got what you deserved. Aren't you glad Moses didn't do that? (laughs) Moses was a good leader. What did Moses do? Moses began to intercede. He began to pray for the people. And we see what happened in verse 8. And here's what the Lord told Moses to do. These are instructions from heaven. Make you a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone, when they are bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And everyone that looks up, everyone that looketh upon it shall live. There is an absolute connection between the serpent on a pole and the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Jesus said in John 8, He said, Even as Moses lifted up the brass serpent on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be what? must be lifted up. And so he's saying, that is a type of me. How in the world can that be a type of our Redeemer? A serpent on a pole? 
The fact of the matter is, is you and I were those serpents. You and I were the ones who yielded to sin. But Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, became sin for us. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so this is a picture of the Master. This is a picture of Jesus. Everyone that looketh upon that serpent in the wilderness shall live. And everyone that looketh unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, shall be healed, shall walk in divine life, shall walk in divine prosperity. But there is a truth here that we need to grab hold of. If you don't look, if you don't gaze, if you don't expect anything from Jesus, that's exactly what you'll get. Nothing. Now I want to look at verse 8 and 9 in the Amplified. Say with me, he took my place. Eight and nine in the Amplified of uh, Numbers chapter 21. We notice this and, and this says it very uh, accurately and very clearly so that we can get a good picture of it. Numbers chapter 21, uh, verse 8 and 9 in the Amplified version. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent of bronze and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, what shall he do? Now, what was the people's part? The people's part was to to look. Okay? What was God's part? God's part was to make them live. It is not your responsibility to heal yourself. It is not your responsibility to meet your own needs. It is not your own responsibility to save your sons and daughters who have gone astray. Our responsibility is to keep looking unto Jesus. Now notice with me in verse 9. This is awesome. And Moses, verse 9, And Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole. And if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked to the serpent of bronze, now notice this is how he looked. And this is how we are to look. Number one, attentively. In other words, paying absolute close attention to what has been raised up. Number two, expectantly. You see, they were told, if you look, you'll live. But what if they just kind of look casually? Well, let's see what happens, Ethel. You know, we heard it work for this person, heard it work for that person. Let's just kind of see what happens. No, it's not the casual look. It's not the occasional look. It's not the, well, let's just see what will happen look. No, it's an attentive, expectant look unto Him. What kind of a look are we talking about? We're talking about a steady, and we're talking about a gaze that is so absorbed with Jesus. We're talking about beholding the Lamb, which takes away the sin of the world. Beholding the Lamb, which takes away the disease of the world. Beholding the Lamb, which takes away the poverty of the world. Beholding the Lamb, which taketh away the depression of this world. Beholding the Lamb, which taketh away the sadness of this world. Looking unto Jesus! Now, leave that verse up there a moment. 
You know, you find a good verse, you want to keep it there for a while because you know it'll just preach for a while. Attentively. Attentively. Not some sort of spiritual gomer pile. Golly. What did he say? Attentive. My son, attend to my words. Expectantly. I'm expecting God to perform his word on your behalf in 2013. I'm expecting, I'm looking unto the only one who can heal my body. I'm looking to the only one who can pay this building off. I'm looking to the only one who can keep my babies. I'm looking unto Jesus. I have an expectation. The expectation of the righteous, the Bible says, shall not be cut off. Now, this is not my responsibility for you. And this is not your responsibility for me. No one can do this for you. You know, everyone wants someone else to do something for them. I think that's what the problem is in our country. Is we've become so government-minded and so not kingdom of God-minded that we've shifted our focus off of Jesus onto the government. Government will never, ever, ever, ever meet your need. It will forever leave you and forsake you. But my God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Are you here today? I know there's a football game coming on, but there's a whole lot more happening here right now. I know there's a double hitter coming up. I'm not ignorant, but I'm more interested in keeping my eyes on Jesus and teaching you how to focus on him in 2013, looking unto him, looking up from everything that would distract. Attentively. Expectantly. What are you expecting tomorrow morning? More of the same? You ought to be expecting promotion. Expecting increase. Somebody says, well, I just got laid off. Well, expect something better. Well, I just got out of a bad relationship, a nasty boyfriend. Well, expect someone better to come along. And don't look for the right thing in wrong wrong places. Thank you, Jesus. Woo, hallelujah. This is what happens sometimes. We look in the wrong place for the right thing. No, you got to be in the Shekah, Mastaya. You got to be in the right place at the right time for God to bring you the right thing. Amen. And so it happens to be a matter of positioning. I can't do this for you. You can't do it for me. I have to be attentive myself. I have to be expectant myself. And so do you. This is our responsibility. I love this. Now with a steady, not one day up, not one way down, not one day almost level to the ground, but steady. And an absorbing gaze. When they did that, they lived. And friends, when you do this, you will live. You will see God do in you and for you and through you what you could never do in and for and through yourself. Everyone say, I'm looking. I'm a looking unto him. No double vision. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 14. Now. We see this as a picture in the Old Covenant. Now we see Jesus in the New Covenant. We see Jesus 
in uh, Matthew chapter 14 and in verse 222. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go, go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now, mark this right down. When Jesus sends you away to go to the other side, he doesn't intend for you to drown in the middle of the lake. Okay? He says, you're going to the other side, guys. But he never said there won't be any problems on the way over. Okay? Now, notice in verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the middle of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And at three o'clock in the morning, I learned in the first service, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Isn't that awesome? The one who said, you're going to the other side, walked on the sea. He walked on the water. Anybody tried that lately? I'm telling you, without a word, you'll drown. You just go to a pool someday, go to a public pool or go to a club that you belong to and, and just get out there and, and say, you get the music right. Oh, 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 You put that foot in the water and be, you won't make it without him. But you know, the good news is, is they weren't without him and neither are you. So at three o'clock in the morning, he saw them. They were troubled. And the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. They were afraid. But right away, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Guys, cheer up. It is I. Be not afraid. In other words, guys, it's going to be okay. It's me. I told you we're going to the other side. Chill out now. You're going to make it. Notice next verse. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, what? Get the picture. Middle of the night. Jesus walking on the water. Peter had enough boldness to say, if it's you, call me to come. And Jesus said, come. Isn't that awesome? On one word, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. One word from heaven can change your situation forever. One word. But we've got more than one word. If Peter could walk on the water with one word, you can pay your PG&E bill with 66 books. If Peter could walk on the water, come on now, with just one word, you certainly can make it through a blue Monday. If Peter could walk on the water with one word, you certainly can get rid of that migraine headache. Just one word. One word. Word. Listen, folks, 66 books, but you open up this perfect law of liberty, and when one word becomes a rhema to you, and you gaze upon it, and you look upon it, this one word will cause you to walk on top of circumstances. 
That's why I encourage you to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Look at your neighbor and say one word. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, mark this down. He did walk on the water. Come on now. A natural man did a supernatural thing. He stepped out of the dry boat onto the water. And that one word, come, upheld Peter. It upheld him. He is upholding all things in our lives by the wonderful word of his power. Oh, glory to God. Had Peter kept his eyes on that, he would not have begun to sink. We don't want to criticize Peter because all of us have been in the same situation. But our lives are not an open book like Matthew 14 is. Now notice with me. Peter beheld Jesus and walked on the water. He was empowered to go from the natural to the supernatural beholding Jesus. As long as he beheld him, he was upheld. Notice with me in verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, and surely the wind will come, he was afraid. Fear came. And the Bible says he began to sink. But all the time when he was sinking, he cried out. And here's what he cried out. Lord, save me. I've been there. You ever been there? You ever in your life just began to sink? And you looked up. From whence comes your help? And you cried out, oh, God, have mercy on me. God, save me. God, forgive me. God, help me. That is the most spiritual thing you can do in your midnight hour is pray and praise and cry out, Lord, help. That's what Blind Bartimaeus did. He said, have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me. And so Peter began to sink, but he knew where his help came from. And it doesn't matter how far you've sunken down. You know where your help comes from. You know that God loves you. And you know that he is there to save you. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And he said, Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, notice with me, he did not say, Peter, you didn't have any faith because he did have faith. He had a little bit of faith, didn't he? And so a little bit of faith will take you a little way, right? But great faith will take you all the way. And so Peter or Jesus commended him. He said, you had a little bit of faith, but why did you get out here in the middle of the sea and do the spiritual splits? And that's really what doubt is. It's the word duo in the Greek. It means trying to look both ways at the same time. It's doing the spiritual splits. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He became stable when he acted on the word come, but then unstable when he took his eyes off the word come. Okay? Now, that's the same principle in our lives. I believe this, that God wants to take us from a place of little faith to greater faith. Now listen, 
faith doesn't grow overnight. But faith, when it is applied, will grow day by day. That's why he said that the just shall live by faith. Living by faith is a way of life. It is not just when you need help. It's there when you need help. But living by faith day by day, week by week, year by year, causes you to get stronger. So that when the big tests come, you're able to stand strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And you won't sink. Amen. So I want to encourage you in 2013 to develop your faith. You see, your faith will make you whole. Your faith will pay your bills. Your faith is on the inside of you. He's given to every man and every woman in this auditorium a measure of mountain moving faith. I'm your coach today. I'm saying stop ignoring the faith that God has given you and start development by believing and acting and speaking faith-filled words over your life. Do your best to cultivate the faith that God has given you. It is the God kind, the God quality of faith. And it is a faith that moves mountains. And it is a faith that overcomes the world. And this faith is in you. Look at your neighbor and say, faith Faith lives in you. Roy Hicks, back in Raymond, when he taught us, he said, faith, use it or lose it. Now, you don't ever really lose it, but it lies dormant if you refuse to use it. So use your faith. Your faith will see you through. Amen? Amen? And so Peter began to sink. Now, every pressure that I've ever faced in my life And the pressure that you will face in your life is designed by Satan to cause us to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto the problem. And when that happens, we will no longer walk in the supernatural. But just as God delivered Peter when he was sinking, he will deliver you if you've sunk. Now notice, here's a verse of scripture that will cause you to shout. Look at Jude verse 24. Are you still here? Jude 24. Notice this scripture. Glory to God. Everyone say, look up. We're not looking out. We're not looking down. We're looking up. Jude 24. Somebody says, well, pastor, I've fallen so many times. I just don't know whether the Lord will forgive you. You don't know the love of God. I've fallen over the same thing a thousand times. Fell over it last night. Well, listen, the blood of Jesus is stronger than that. And if you will tap into the grace of God's keeping power through your faith, you won't have to yield to that sin anymore. I know I'm preaching good, just some of you don't know it yet. Jude, verse 24. Just hang out for a minute. Now, unto who? Unto who? Unto Him. Not the medication. Not to the 12-step program. God may use all that. But now unto Him. What's He able to do? He's able to keep you from falling. That thing that you've yielded to time and time and time and time and time again, too many times to count, He's able to keep you from falling. Not only is He able to keep you from falling, but He's able to present you, this is good news, faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. You remember the offering scripture we used? 
He's able to keep you intact, spirit, soul, and body till he returns. Well, he is also able to keep you from falling and to present you in his presence with great joy. Hallelujah. 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 So I just came by here today to encourage you a while. I'm here to encourage you to keep your eyes on him. Now, how many of you know that if we look at the stuff around us, we'll sink? Huh? Anybody ever had that sinking feeling? Okay. I've had that sinking feeling before. You know, a circumstance, a bad report, and all of a sudden in your heart you go, oh. But you know, he's the glory and the lifter up of your head. But we've got to position ourselves to be in a place of encouragement Mm -hmm. for him to encourage us and to lift us. When you're sinking, stop thinking the wrong thoughts. When you're sinking, start thinking the thoughts of God. When you're sinking, look up. And then when you've looked up, Speak up. Speak forth what the word says about your situation. And then you'll be back on level ground and you'll be back following the Spirit of God in your everyday life. You see, there's a a connection between looking up and speaking up. You know, when pressure comes to us, The thing that the enemy wants to do is he wants to connect your tongue with the pressure. Man, I just, man, I feel lousy today. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I've got $5,000 worth of bills and they seem like $5 million. I just don't know what in the world we're going to do. We might just get foreclosed on. I don't know how in the world we're going to make it. You see, the enemy just dances with glee. At those kinds of words. Because that's looking down. That's wearing a frown. And that's speaking words of doubt and unbelief. But you can train yourself as you're looking up to speak up. You can train, you can school yourself in faith. You can say what God's word says regardless of what your body says. You can say what God's word says, regardless of what Walmart or Wall Street says. Train yourself to speak the word of God. School yourself into faith. What do you mean, school yourself into faith? That means every day. How many of you went to school before? Okay, we all went to school, right? Some of us went to school longer. Some of us had short breaks from school because we were expelled. (laughs) What do they do in school? In school, they teach you. They train you. How did you learn how to spell? You were trained. How did you learn arithmetic? You were trained. Training took a process of time. You had to position yourself under your teacher to be trained. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is our trainer. And we are in the school of the Spirit. And our teacher will instruct us how to speak 
the word only. Now, you're going to miss it. You're going to, you're going to foul up. But through the process of training, if you will just stay under the tutelage, the tutorage of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, sooner or later, when the pressure comes, immediately out of your mouth will the Word flow. Immediately, the Word will just, it'll come out. It'll be like a faucet. You won't even have to think of it because it's out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth is going to speak. I don't have to think to count to ten. It's automatic. And you won't have to think to say, by his stripes you were healed. It'll become automatic. You won't have to think how to say your God, whoo, supplies all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's just automatic. But if you're going to waste time, you're going to wall away, you're going to be over in the corner with the rest of the spiritual dunces. It's the truth. I've been over in that corner before. Anybody ever had to stay after school? Okay, Mr. Thomas, right on the board, a hundred times. It'll do us good to speak up, to say what the Word of God says, to get our eyes off of the circumstances onto Him. I got to step into the supernatural in 2013. I got to step out of this natural over into the supernatural. Because there's things over here that will never be accomplished over there. I've been over here long enough. I, I got, excuse me, I got to step over here. Over here is where the answers are. Over here where the glory is. Over here is where the miracles are. Over here is where the provision is. Over here is where the miracle of healing is. I'm on my sekelemosa. Bye-bye. I'm stepping out and I'm stepping in to the supernatural. I encourage you to do the same thing. I encourage you to step out of your natural mind into the supernatural mind of Christ. Glory to God. Only Jesus can keep us. Our eyes off of Him. Off of the circumstance onto Him. Listen, folks. I said it last week and I, I didn't do a real good job of it. But you and I are uncommon to this world. We're different. You might as well accept it. The Bible says that you are a peculiar people. Now... That means you're peculiar to the world. They can't figure you out. They can't figure out, Carol, how they're being affected by what's going on in the world and you're not. They just, they don't understand it. How in the world? It isn't in the world. It's out of this world. It's from the kingdom of God. It's from the word, not the world. How can you and I live in this world And not be affected by the world. Because we're uncommon. We're peculiar. We're a purchased possession. Peculiar in the Greek means you're a purchased possession. You're a blood-bought one. You're purchased by the Redeemer. You are sanctified and severed from this world system when you get on the words system. Jesus prayed, sanctify the ones I love through thy truth. And he said, it's the word of God that's truth. And so it is the word of God that separates you and makes you uncommon and peculiar to this world. Isn't that awesome? 
Now, that doesn't mean we don't love the world. And that doesn't mean we don't light, shine our light on the world and be salt to the world. No, we love the world. But as far as the world's way of thinking and the world's way of acting, we're peculiar. They just can't figure you out. And a lot of times, what you're delivered from, they'll try to get you back in. I mean, if you were delivered from alcohol, the horn will honk on Saturday night sometime. It'll be bobbing them or pookie them. I don't know which. On the car. Saying, come on now. We're going down to the club. We're going to have a few. You know, we're going to do it real strong. We're going to drink. You've been delivered from smoking pot. Next thing you know, pookie them or bobbing them. And say, hey, you want to hit this? You want to hit some of this? Hey, we got some good stuff. You want to hit some of this? No, I've been delivered from that. But how about you? You want to hit some of this? Come on now, let's roll this up. Let's roll this up. Let's smoke some of this now. Get this in you. It'll change your life. Hey, come on, hit some of this. I hit this and I've never been the same. Come on, somebody. You want... You want some of this? I got it right here. Come on, let's roll this up, baby. You want to dance? All right. You do your funky chicken. I'm going to dance in the Holy Ghost. You want to run? I'll show you run. I'm going to run through a troop. I'm going to leap over a wall. Yeah, yeah, I already got my papers. I don't need what's in your paper. I got the red. Whoo, shakaba. I got Jesus red here. You may have got Panama red, but I got Jesus red right here. You're uncommon, you're peculiar. You're strange to the world. You're a purchased possession. You are the sanctified separate ones filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with power, with the name of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb over our lives. Woo, come on. I can't have any of that no more. I got him on my side. I got to look to him. He's the only one that can quicken my mortal body. He's the only one that can put your relationship back together. He's the only one that can cause your debts to flee before you. Oh, I got to be looking unto him. My rock, my lily of the valley, my bright and morning star, my balm in Gilead, my rock of ages, the great I am, the healer of my body, the baptizer. Wow! Come on, let's stand up. Stand up, everybody. Woo, glory. Woo-hoo. The great I am. My bomb in Gilead. My healer. My baptizer in the Holy Ghost. The one who comes into my cell in the midnight hour with his glory and power. And causes my bands to be broken. 
the one who cleanses my mind, cleanses my blood, keeps every organ and every tissue of my body functioning normally, the one whose eyes are upon me, the one who keeps my babies, saves my life, pays my buildings off, gives me peace where there's no peace, gives me joy when I ought to be crying. I got to look to him. I got to look to him. I got to look to him. I got tired of looking down here. I'm looking up to the author and the finisher of my faith. And he is no respecter of persons. He's your author. He's your finisher. If he's got the beginning and the end in place, he'll take care of the in-between. He'll take care of the in-between. He'll take care of the in-between. Well, I don't know what else to do but shout. So let's shout. Glory to God. Glory to God. Woo! Yeah, we're looking to him, Pastor Tom. Yes, we are. We got our eyes in the right place. When your eyes are in the right place and you've tapped into this grace through your faith, oh, the grace of God will be all around.